The internet keeps trying to trade Shane Bieber. Cleveland adds a cheaper Quantrill replacement. Baseball gets something right? What? And wait, what color are those seats? You're listening to the Selfie is Godcast with Zach Meisel and TJ Zupi. Subscribe to Selby is Godcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Unbelievable. Breaking news. This just in to the Godcast desk. Zach Meisel is standing by our correspondent as he's been covering since he's woken up today. The latest here in Cleveland, which is the color of the seats at Progressive Field. We now go live to Zach Meisel on the scene. I can confirm. They're blue. What? It's like the worst gender reveal ever. <laughs> blue. Oh my goodness. Your initial thoughts. Blue seats at Progressive Field? I don't know the exact shade, and I believe there's a covering on the famous picture that's been going around, so I don't want to just assume that that's the shade of blue that they will ultimately be. Um, I was told maybe take a look at Nationals Park in D.C. There's a pier more navy. I, I have no recollection of that ballpark, actually, even though I've stepped foot in that place. Um, it's, it's a shock to the system, right? 30 years of forest green seats. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if nothing else, they probably needed a little bit of touch of paint because years of sun have just beat that green to hell. So it's not quite the same vibrant green that I remember that ballpark having when it first opened. I'm ready. I'm ready to, I mean, the line is divided here. I know the, the, the next hottest thing is on the heels of the Ahmed Wars is him at driveline taking batting practice in his underwear. <laughs> so maybe the wars aren't aren't officially dead there. But I'm ready for the new wars, the seat color at Progressive Field. And I think I kind of like blue. I think I kind of like it. All right. I, can you do me a favor? <laughs> do you have access know. to Google? <laughs> yeah, I do. Can you Google shades of blue and let's... You know, on an audio forum, this okay. is the perfect thing to do. Let's go through and tell YouTube. me what would look good. Tell me what would look good. We I have pulled up pewter blue, cornflower blue, mm. Crayola blue, royal blue. The pen is royal blue, turquoise, ultramarine. Columbia blue, midnight blue. Ooh, midnight blue. I think they have to be midnight. I think at worst, like a cobalt blue or an Egyptian <laughs> blue. But I think ideally you're looking midnight blue, Arctic blue, Oxford blue. Uh, not cyan? Cayenne? No, I, I think it's got to be. You've got It's got to be. Sapphire. Like, if royal blue is the midpoint. Tiffany blue. You have to be darker than that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, if you're if you're listening to this, just Google it yourself. Follow along as we cover the different shades of blue. Well, I mean, like Yankee a, Stadium pulls it off. Yeah, I. That's what I had. Those are like navy. Well, I'm thinking of the old outfield seats. At, Maybe a cerulean at at the old stadium. Those were the the first thing that came to mind because those outfield seats at the old stadium. It always sat empty, and I picture the old advertisements and those blue seats, and that's the first thing that popped into my mind, and I don't mind it. It's just everything in that ballpark is geared toward that color green, so how do you transfer? Like, I don't want it to be in between here. And if there's going to be an in-between period where you're changing colors, then that's going to bug me. That My OCD there is going to be set off. But if the end goal is to get to, the, to a color news. of blue... The color itself, I, th I think I can get on board with. I was told this is going to be done in stages. <laughs> so 
I don't I don't know if that means like the lower level will be blue and the upper deck will be green for a year or it'll just be just patches of blue throughout the city. I don't know. I was told it's not going to be done all this off season. So it could look weird for a year. The other thing <laughs> kind of like right. this this entire you know, we, off season. It's being done in stages and I don't understand it as it's being done. Maybe at the end, yeah. the, the well, overall picture might look great, but right now, not sure I'm feeling it. <laughs> we'll get there, but we haven't finished our pitch to Sherwin-Williams for a sponsorship yet. So I, I think I, I think it's going to be weird, too. I'm trying to picture, like, blue seats and the forest green wall. Are you repainting the wall? Ooh, good question. That would look weird blue. Yeah, that is a good question. You know how you could mitigate this entire thing? Put butts in every single one of those seats, and then you'll never see the seat color. Because they've come to see your Unless team Unless everybody play. wears forest green. And, and you're going to see a lot more of those seats if you've traded away Bieber and Classe and Naylor. <laughs> we just keep going down the line. You're going to have a lot more chances to see those sparkling blue seats. Maybe that's the plan. Maybe that's what I've missed. You're going to spend money on the seats. You want people to enjoy them and see them. you got to make sure those things are empty. That's, that's what's being done here. Like I, I see. I missed sapphire. it again. <laughs> this is all on you, front office. This is all because we we would brush this off if there was some big signing to discuss. If we were talking about finally the answer in the right field, we'd be going, "Oh yeah," and they're changing the seat color. But who cares? Because this team's chasing a championship. No, no, we're gonna spend ten minutes talking about shades of blue. Because you've traded Shane Bieber off of your opening day roster projection. This is you. I said the internet is trying to trade Shane Bieber. You're the internet, Zach. It's you that's doing it. I I didn't see him there. I saw one Ben Lively within that rotation. We'll touch on that coming up. Yeah, I mean, I, I was trying to think about what's left to do this offseason. The original plan was, let's write a story that's the Guardians' off-season checklist. What, what do they need to do over the remaining two months here? And then I was like, they haven't... It's the same. They haven't checked anything off that list. So then it was like, okay, well, they have made changes. They've made moves. What does this look like? We, we've talked about certain things. We've talked about how they haven't addressed the outfield. We've talked about how all of a sudden they have a surplus at first base. We've talked about the pitching and how, okay, well, you got rid of Quantrill. If you get rid of Bieber, like, you need an arm. But then I was like, you know, if we just do a roster projection, that's that's one place where I can just visualize all of this and see how it fits together. Let me tell you, it does not. So I, I it's really strange. I've said it before, like, I think usually we have a pretty good handle of what the vision is and I don't really have that. And I, it seems like they're collecting people that they think they can get more out of or who can blossom in Cleveland. That's fine. But as you've said, like the puzzle pieces still have to fit or at least kind of fit. And right now this roster is a mess and I'm, I've said it too, you know, we can spend so much time yelling about Austin Hedges or yelling about certain trade rumors or yelling about the payroll. I don't, I, I, the big move, the the signature move of the offseason probably hasn't happened yet. And you would think that whatever it is, is going to provide us with more intel than anything else that they've done to this point or anything else that they've said to this point or anything that's been reported to this point. So I think we're just in the early stages still. But putting every laying everything out position by position was a good reminder to me that like one, like the team has talent. Like I, I think that gets glossed over so much. And I, I, I do think the general public thinks that the team is in a rebuild and isn't going to be good for years. And I think that's that's an organizational problem. I think that's also part of what happens when the only people who talk about your team during the offseason are the Selby's Godcast and Locked on Guardians and any other 
Cleveland baseball podcast, but like it's it, you can't get Guardians talk. So you just get like the tip of the iceberg stuff, which is they went 76 and 86. It was a rotten season and players are, you know, their good players are talked about in trade rumors. And so the average fan thinks like, I'm not even going to bother tuning into them until 2027 when the seats are orange and they have a new owner. Um, but so I, I it, it's, but you, you lay it all out there and you're like, whoa, this rotation like could be really good. You lay it out there and you say, okay, the bullpen has some potential. You lay it out there and you say, they have a lot of first basemen, a lot of shortstops, but like I can see a path to where the infield is excellent, right? But then you also lay it out and you see, hmm, are they really going to run back the exact same outfield that everyone was griping about all season? How are they going to handle all these young first basemen? How are they going to handle the shortstop position? What are they going to do if they trade Bieber? It doesn't look very promising behind it. So it's it's just a, a load of confusion at this point, and I think we're waiting for the big move that offers us some clarity and maybe gives those people who think they're rebuilding confirmation that that's what they're doing or kind of reinforces that they do still want to win in 2024. I think you nailed it that they have been collecting a lot of things that they like, which is fine on, on one hand. And individually, we've talked about how selecting De Los Santos in the Rule 5 can make sense from a this is an intriguing young player standpoint and you want him in your system regardless of how you have to do it and if the cost is you have to leave him on your roster for the entire season you'll do it because you think the benefit here outweighs what you're going to lose from a roster spot that is just a guy that's a, a lottery ticket when he comes to the plate right now or going to trade for Scott Barlow you liked you think that's an improvement over what you had previously you can do this with a lot of the moves individually. Just look at them and say, I get it from just a, we like this thing more than the previous thing we had occupying that spot. We like the chances that this player will eventually blossom. It's when you put the entire thing together, which is still part of it. Building a roster is still making sure that all the pieces fit. That's where the disconnect has been for me. I, I get that we don't, they would say that they don't have the full puzzle in hand today. It's not the full picture. That's the reason why the the roster breakdown that you tried to put together doesn't make sense because it's not complete. It's an incomplete project to this point. So I get it. And I'm still looking, I'm still hopeful that we're going to eventually see the end picture. And I, I think they're smart. I think they realize a lot of things we've discussed. They're putting together their roster and also thinking the same things that we are, that it's an incomplete project. But I'm still looking for the direction. I'm still looking, where are you going to end up where this all makes sense? Or was it just about an off-season of collecting things and improving things? And whether or not that's going to ultimately lead to a division title, we don't know. But we improved by going out and, and getting individual pieces that we like. That's the actions of more of a team that knows they're going to finish in fourth place, but they're building towards something. So we'll collect pieces. The teams that are looking to actually go win a title this upcoming year, sure, they have an eye toward go get things that they like. But they're also thinking, how do these pieces all fit together so that we have a complementary roster that can go win games this year? It's strange because you look at the foundation of this team where you had three rookie pitchers last year like set the world ablaze like Tanner Bobby and Gavin Williams. Like I can't wait to see what they're going to do this season. And I could see Logan Allen having a really good year too. Right. And Tristan McKenzie, if he's healthy coming back, that's such a great foundation. You look at the lineup and like Jose Ramirez is still a really good player. Andres Jimenez. And, and also those two guys who signed long-term as I've, repeat and repeat and repeat they are only going to get more expensive you think it's difficult to work your finances around guys now just wait a few years so Bo Naylor also can't wait to see what he does in his first full year and they clearly agree with that and that's why they're fine with Austin Hedges as the backup who's not going to supply any hitting on days when Bo Naylor needs a rest 
But I'd look at that and I'd be like, that's a core that I want to supplement. That's a core that I am desperately going to get what I need to fill holes because this group is ready to grow and build off of good rookie years. And um, it's strange that they're not doing that. It seems like a waste. And if the decision is, well, we think we got to build around DeLauder and Manzardo and whoever else, and that our best years are going to be in a couple of years, well, then where does that leave Jose Ramirez and Jimenez? And also by that point, Bybee and Williams and those guys are going to be in ARB and they're going to be more expensive. And then you're going to, be, that clock is ticking, right? Like it's, it's just the timing doesn't make sense to me. And I just look at this as you've got, I mean, you've got Bybee for five more years of team control. You've got Williams for six. You've got Allen for six. You've got McKenzie for three. I mean, like this is, I would be trying to lock, like extend Josh Naylor for a few more years, let him play with his brother and uh, let him hit in the middle of the order. Like I, I just, to me, it seems like a group that should be on the rise. It seems like that, that is what other teams are looking for building to like the Royals would kill to be in the guardians position right now. Um, and so it's strange to me if, if they're like the moves they make are not moves that make you think, Oh, it like, this is, they see it. This is time to build up and let, let's go. And so it's very strange. And I don't know that that's going to be like, I don't think the light bulb is going to go off if they trade Bieber for a couple prospects. Right. So it's, it's, it's just weird, and that's why I don't really understand the timing. I feel like I can ask about it a hundred times and still not get clarity on that, um, which is why we also say, like, follow what they do and not what they say. But what they do has been confusing, too. So it's just, it's it's very odd. Like, this offseason doesn't seem to fit where you would think. And it, it's not just money, because, like, the money that they've had available, they have spent it. I mean, Hedges is going to make $4 million. And like, I'm not saying Cal Quantrill was great and they clearly were frightened by the metrics and didn't want to spend on him. But man, like, I don't know. Barlow for seven plus Loriano for five plus Hedges for four is 16 million. That's going to be like 15 to 20% of your payroll. That's, I feel like there are better uses that could have well, they're all, really helped you. They're all fine players. They're all players I think that can help you win to some degree. Hedges more <laughs> from the leadership standpoint than what he's going to do on the field. But defensively, too, that's going to help you win. Clearly it will. You know, Leading a pitching staff, that'll help you win. But for a team that has also said that how they spend is very important and they need to be meaningful of that, spending the money on those players... On one hand, it shouldn't matter, but it is to them, and they have said that it does. So that's where the disconnect is for me. The, those two things don't really – there's not perfect cohesion there. I think that's part of the frustration here is that a lot of team, a lot of, of fans look at this team and say, this is a team that should be doing what you're doing or should be doing what you're saying is fortifying and, and pushing past that last bit to just get you going down the hill. The – the Dennis Martinez and Eddie Murray signings of 94, you know, leading up to what eventually became 95, doing those sorts of things. You know, different sport is in a different place. I'm not saying it's, it's exactly one-to-one here, but similar sort of thought. Just we have the young players. How do we get the most out of them while shoring up the things that we are not so sure about? Doesn't feel like they've done. They've, they've done a lot of things, but it doesn't feel like they've accomplished the main goals of this entire offseason yet. It doesn't even feel like they've they've broached them to to any degree here. It's weird. And D- now the seats are going to be blue, and I just... <laughs> nothing makes sense and anymore. It, it doesn't get easier when you trade a Shane Bieber if this is, you know, part of, part of this overall plan. And I and have that said... that even falls under the category, as you said, of like, individually the moves can make sense like i understand trading bieber now get your sounder ready it depends on what the return is but like i get it 
this fault this is a pattern like this is they usually trade Shane a Shane Bieber in this situation right now they're selling low and like are the prospects going to be good enough to really help you and like I, I there's a lot to figure out there but like I I get it but then you better put that 12 million to use and fortify your pitching staff fix your outfield right I, right, right I don't want to hear know. I don't want to hear that part of that $12 million went to paying Austin Hedges' salary and justifying keeping Ramon Laureano to, to the degree that trading Cal Quantrill opened up the door for you to go trade for Scott Barlow and pay him $7 million. I don't want to do that again. That's it. Those should be completely unrelated. That $12 million should be a new $12 million to spend on the roster somewhere, not something you've already done previously and you need to trade Bieber because otherwise none of this is going to line up and we can't afford this team the way that it's constructed that that doesn't pass any smell test for me sorry this offseason fits perfectly into the narrative you know everyone complains about the payroll and like it needs to be higher they need to spend more and I think people will try to argue and say oh well like look at the Mets they spent 400 million dollars and they didn't win anything last season. And there are tons of examples of that. The Angels for years and years and years are a good one. And we've never said just spend to spend. You know, you want to spend wisely. You just want the flexibility. You want to be able to not be hamstrung by a mistake for years. Like they were with Swisher and Bourne. Like they were with um, Josh Bell and now Gene Segura, who's on a yacht somewhere. Just getting paychecks from Paul <laughs> Dolan every month. But... But I, I think what's what's crazy is it seems like this offseason, the team with limited spending has spent just to spend. It's very, it's odd. Like, I, I I get that they like these guys and they feel like they can bring certain intangibles, but I don't know. This it It's just a very strange scene. Like, I would think the time to, like, take the risk, right, and they did this last year with Josh Bell and it backfired, but you can't just assume that every time you take a risk, it's going to backfire. But that's but still the time a good risk. Like, it's still a good risk. Yeah. The time to go get a and this this free agent class is not great either. Like let's let's get that out there. And I don't know what Jorge Soler is eventually going to sign for or Teoscar Hernandez, but isn't the time to like you your best players are as cheap as they're going to be, you should capitalize on that. A TV deal notwithstanding, like you're going to get at least two thirds of of the money you were supposed to get from Bally's. Like I, you're going to get something. So I don't think you just budget that as zero. So I, I just like, is this going to get easier when Jose Ramirez and Andre Semenez are making a combined like thirty five, forty million dollars? No. It's going to get much more complicated. So I, I just, I don't know. This seemed like the time to, you have the most glaring hole any team in the league has had. I looked up, I went back year by year at home runs by a team's outfielders. The Guardians had 18 last season. And that 18, by the way, I think it's helped. I didn't check on the exact number. But some of that is Gabriel Arias playing right field. And he's not going to be playing right field. So it's 18. That's the lowest home run total by a team's outfield since 1976, the White Sox. I mean, we're talking historically inept output. It is the most obvious hole that needs to be patched up. And we'll see if they do it. Would you like to put your butt in the blue, those blue seats? Well, I gotta wait for you to do that. Seat Geek, use code Selby. Doesn't matter that it's not baseball season. This still applies. Go use that code. Save twenty dollars off your first ticket purchase over at Seat Geek. Uh, I don't think it's gonna get easier if you also trade a Josh Naylor, because again, you're taking away something of an answer that you've you've actually found. And we we spent. 20 minutes talking about it, our most Patreon episode, patreon.com slash Selby is Guidecast. Get access to the Discord. Come join the conversation where we do more than just these free shows. And thank you for being here as well. We appreciate all of you. You know, with, with the Bieber thing, I've remained skeptical from, for the past few months here, that a trade was, was going to happen. Not because, 
Like everything you said about this is that fits the mold of what they do with pitchers like him and his last year, and they feel like they can create more pitching. That all totally true. The reason why I've been skeptical, no matter how many times I read a, a Bieber trade rumor on Twitter, and John Morosi saying, "Yeah, the Reds are looking at at Shane Bieber." I remain skeptical because of his cost, his his value being so low. I just don't think they're going to sell this low so that it, it makes sense to trade him and get back this reduced return instead of just just take the shot that he's going to be a top-of-the-rotation arm again this year. And I think there's still value in that for yourself as opposed to taking back 60% of his worth in his final season because he just hasn't been healthy or he hasn't. He hasn't pitched like himself. I would much rather take the risk, and I think the organization sees that his value is perhaps at its lowest, and why would that make sense to trade him right in this moment? Now, I also don't see what the the potential returns are. If, if the Reds are offering something that you just can't say no to and you, you get a middle-of-the-order hitter here, okay, then I'll be wrong about that, and I'll understand the trade for a little But I, I'm just skeptical that you're going to get anything more than somebody's sixth best prospect at double a you know that everyone's envisioning the scenario where they're getting back some young 23 year old another first base dh this team doesn't have enough of those right now but i remain skeptical about that and i'm even more skeptical about Naylor. and but these things still keep surfacing so while i'm skeptical on one hand the other part of me realizes where there's this much smoke there has to be at least a little bit of fire that they're having conversations and considering these things yeah i mean i Naylor's name has surfaced in trade talks since the summer it's tough to handicap how serious it is i think you look if and we don't need to rehash everything we discussed on the patreon show but i you know it, it's it's another one where it's like you're gonna have to make it make sense because i i get they have Manzardo. A lot of people, not just in Cleveland, are super high on him. And he could have he could be impactful as soon as 2024, opening day. I don't know if they want to manipulate his service time. The vibe I got at the winter meetings was like it's weird because you know, there's the whole Bybee thing, right? Like you Bybee got a whole year of service time. They weren't trying to manipulate him. They had to call him up because they had injuries and ineffectiveness in the rotation and it just worked out the way it did. He finishes second in the rookie of the year. He gets a full year of service time. So you get to cons- there are a lot of things to consider with Manzardo there too. Um, the weird part though is that then you have Davis and De Los Santos who's 20, who's never played above double A, but all those excuses you want to make about Manzardo and young hitters in general. How many times have we heard Terry Francona say, well, young hitters in April in Cleveland, it can really beat you down and can be tough to recover from. But you're going to do that with this kid who it's even more of a challenge for him just because of his lack of experience. Um, And you have to because he's a rule five pick. So, um, okay, well, just kind of odd. But you have both of those guys. Alfonso Rivas as we record this is still on the roster somehow. Um, there's a crowd at first base. So, you know, one way you could make this work is to move Naylor to right field, at least on occasion. Um, the other would be to trade him and you'd be selling high, but you'd be selling high on a, a first base DH type with an injury history. It's not like a recurring thing, but you know, he's had different injuries. He's never played more than I think, 122 games in a season. Um, and he's two years of team control. I think you can get something decent for him. I don't think this is going to be like a Mike Clevenger package or, you know, one of those. And to me, I, what is that clubhouse like if you're Bo Naylor and you're like, all right, this is awesome. I got to play with my brother last year for a couple months. And now we are teammates from day one. Let's go. We live together in the offseason. We train together. Like, this is just the dream. And then they trade him. <laughs> like, what What are you doing? 
I I don't know Josh's financial preferences. I would think that maybe you could play off of that. And if you wanted to extend him a couple years, he might be interested because he knows he'd get to play with Bo. That would appeal to me if I were Josh. Um, it's it's a very odd situation, and I I can't wrap my head around a trade that would make sense. I understand the motivations from a surplus standpoint, from a selling high standpoint, but aren't you hoping that Manzardo, De Los Santos, any of those guys become Josh Naylor? You have <laughs> yeah. Josh Naylor. But that's that's my point. What are you trying to accomplish with a Bieber trade? I can make that case easily. I, what am I trying to accomplish? I'm trying to flip Bieber for another hitter. That's what I'm trying to accomplish. Josh Naylor, what are you trying to accomplish? You're trying to get, what, younger Josh Naylor with more control? <laughs> like, well, what are you trading him for? That's what you I mean. What are you trying to trade him for a first baseman? What is the you goal here? Middle infielder. What is the, What are you trying to accomplish? That's my simple question. Bieber, I get it. You're trying to accomplish getting the hitter. Even the Class A rumors. I get what you're trying to accomplish by having these conversations. With Naylor, you're taking a shot and you're risking that you're, like, you're hopeful that you find Naylor again and that you just control him longer and that he's just a little bit younger and maybe, maybe a little less injury prone. Maybe you think just because by the nature of the way this guy plays the game and his body type, he's always going to be beat up. And so you're wondering about his longevity, and because he's a hitter that swings outside the strike zone, those typically don't age extremely well. So next two years are probably fine. He's 26. (laughs) Okay, like I understand. Maybe he you don't want him tied to a lot of money when he's 34. But he's 26, and he's not going to turn 27 until the end of June. I think he's still got some pretty good years left in him. I, I, I think it's okay if if you extend him till he's 30, 31. Like, I think you'll be all right. And I just, I don't know. I, I, like there's, I think there's legitimacy to trade rumors with him um, as far as teams asking about him and the team contemplating what it would mean it's always difficult to get a handle on how serious something is because they listen on everybody but i don't know i I just again i back to the timeline and it's also like okay the the lineup is what needs bolstering right you trade him i don't know that you're gonna get like are you gonna trade him for some 23 year old outfielder who's major league ready (laughs) And has six years of service time and remaining. You're, and and you're, you're hoping, you're hoping legit? he becomes this. You're hoping that he becomes this for like three years of the contract because it's not going to happen. But why overnight. would another team do that? That's why would another team downgrade the positional yes. spectrum and downgrade how much team control they have? Yes, yes. Because what they they really need to fortify their next two years. They're really looking to win for the next two years. The thing you should be doing. The very thing you should be doing. Mm-hmm. I just don't think field value and trade value align here with Naylor. And, and uh, to some degree, I'm skeptical that it'll happen with Bieber, but I see more scenarios where it can. With with the Naylor one, it just... Uh, no. And, you know, I know you, we've talked about this privately. There's, I, It seems teams don't even know what the Guardians are doing. You're hearing conflicting things about what the direction is here. And what they're trying to accomplish, and it just leads to the confusion. Like, we're confused. Aren't you getting a sense that other teams are also a little bit confused as to what they're trying to accomplish? Yeah, I I think there are a bunch of front offices in the league that are just... Anytime there's a chance to... I don't want to say surplus value, but like just capitalize on an opportunity. Selling high on a player... Even if it doesn't fit in your timeline, you at least stop, you pause and think about it deeply to see if it would make sense. There's just an obsession with value in this league. And value before... There's like a weird... Like a prospect who has proven enough to get on everybody's radar 
and maybe a top 100 prospects list, but hasn't like ruined the mystique yet. That is gold in this league. Like that prospect who's at like double A or triple A who doesn't have warts yet because he hasn't been around quite long enough to be exposed. That is the currency that drives so many front offices. And so if you can go get that Manzardo for Savali at that perfect moment, you do it, even if it maybe doesn't quite fit what your plans are for that particular season or that deadline. Um, sometimes it works. You know, and a lot of times like it's, it's, it's a good process to have. There are other times where maybe you can get too caught up in that. I think there are examples of trades where teams do that and it's like, yeah, like you're really excited about, but I don't know. You guys, you always tease me about one time in our fantasy game when I said prospects are just players who haven't done shit yet. And it's like, I think a lot of people around the league, I mean, I think there's an understanding that like most prospects don't pan out the way you hope, but I think until that, that perfect, like that ideal scenario is, is spoiled. Like there's, I don't know. We all have rose colored glasses on. And I think teams, teams covet that, that type of player, man. And, but then it's just, it's this endless cycle. It's like, well, when are you going to get the players that you're just going to hang on to and right. try to win a title? But here's, here's also an issue because you're dreaming of, I can turn two years of this guy into six years of another guy. True. But are those years an equivalent? Are the two years you're getting, you're getting six years of that equivalent? Usually not because the prospects, like look at Spencer Torkelson with, with Detroit. First year, it was, bleh. second year, it was all right. It's all right. And what, he hit 30, bom 30 plus bombs this, this past year for Detroit. And so now getting into the third year, you're looking at him like, okay, finally, he looks like he's ready to take off. And maybe by that fourth year, He's established himself, and he's an all-star. Maybe, maybe it comes as soon as this year, but somewhere between these next two years, you're already halfway through the service time. You're already halfway there. Right. So, like, even with Manzardo, as much as I'm excited about him, you think Manzardo in year one is going to be as good as Manzardo potentially in year four? You're not going to more than likely give – I'm sure the Padres, when they first saw Naylor coming up, they were like, okay, cool. And it took him until just this past year where he's finally a dominant offensive force in the middle of the lineup. Takes a long time. Not, not for everybody. Some pro prospects, prospects show up and they light the world on fire from minute one. And then there's some that do that and then drop off dramatically after that. There's just so much unknown. So when I get a guy that I, I have some confidence in, I, I kind of want to hold on to him. When, especially when he fits the, the need that you so drastically need yeah i mean that that's that's kind of what i've been saying this whole podcast too it's like i don't think manzardo is gonna you're right like his his best season of his career is probably not going to be 2024 that's going to take time delauder whenever he gets to the majors it's going to take a little time brito same thing valera same thing there are some really interesting position player prospects on the horizon is the plan to just wait for them and wait for them to get to their peak? Because by the time that happens, Jose is probably on the downside of his career, making the most money of his career. And Bybee and Williams and McKenzie are either going to be expensive in arbitration or on the way out. So what? what's... You have to get the timing right. And when the timing gets tricky, you have to be willing to make moves to cover for your holes. And you're right. The game has changed since the 90s, but what that front office did, they did well in general. The execution, like I think the, the process was sound. The execution wasn't always great when they traded a lot of uh, really good young players for just Band-Aids that didn't stop the bleeding. Um, but they, they did, they were making moves. Albert Bell's gone. Okay, here's Matt Williams, right? And trying so many different ways to fill second base. And when you finally got fed up, you just just go get Robbie Elmar. Okay. Um, 
you know, we can criticize them not going to get that ace pitcher they needed instead of the half measure of Jack McDowell or John Smiley or Jeff Juden. But at least, you know, they were, they were trying, right? They were, they, they knew that they had this window and they had gotten everything together. The, the timing had gotten to the point where it was like, okay, now's the time to strike. Here's Dennis Martinez. Here's Eddie Murray. Eventually here's Oral Hershiser. And then let's make trades and, and, free agent signings to, to fix what we need the next five, six years instead of just, well, like this isn't quite the year where everything lines up. So let's trade the veterans and get younger and then, you know, start the cycle over again. I, I, I don't, I, I will I ask this question every off season to you, but like, what is the year where they have the best chance to end this world series drought? I have no idea what that answer is. <sighs> you now. never liked my answer. My answer was always 2022. <laughs> you never liked 2017. it. 2017. Oh, no. Oh, no. And, of course, it doesn't help uh, when you have these this trade speculation out there and we're trying to connect the dots between Bieber and the Reds and whichever other team. And then the Guardians go out and sign a pitcher to a major league contract and Ben Lively who, by the way, is a starting pitcher. And okay, from from that from that angle, you're paying a guy the pretty much the minimum to just occupy your depth spot. Fine, you want to, you want him to be your next Cal Quantrill. Fine, he slides into the rotation. Little nervous. You think he's a project that you can make better? Okay, I will listen to that because this team wants to bet on a pitcher. Not every single one of them pans out, but. Some of them do, and some of them are, are fantastic. So it's not that I don't trust them to that degree. It's just it does add more gasoline to the fire when you start adding major league pitchers, major league contracts to do the thing that you don't have an opening for right now. And so it just leads us all to speculate. Bieber's out the door. He's gone. Is there anything you saw in his metrics on his baseball savant page that... Mm, mm, mm. I mean, not initially. No, nothing looks. I mean, mm. contact management and extension. He, he he really gets out there and throws the ball as far as as any pitcher in the game. It's like nine plus ninety third percentile, something like that, in extension and contact management. He's had some. Do you think they just some positives there? Do you do you think they take video of every single available pitcher and they hit pause the moment <laughs> they release the ball, and then they they just have like. 500 laptops <laughs> and then they're going through each one to see all right who has the best extension here <laughs> who looks like their arm is the furthest out and we'll sign yeah, that guy we really wanted to be just jumping out of his hand to cover for the fact that he was throwing the four seamer at like 91 this past year speaking and of that four seamer uh i mentioned this in the discord I, i'm an i'm an idiot i don't know anything about pitch design and what teams should be doing so this is just the most overhead view you could possibly get but that four-seamer this past year had a batting average against it of 365. Now, he did have some bad luck. The expected batting average suggests that it should have been 328. So, 40 points there. <laughs> should have had some better results. The slugging percentage on that four-seamer was 673. 673, mm. Zach. Now, you would you would think to yourself, if it's getting crushed like that, clearly... We're, we're bringing this down. We're not going to use it as much. Oh, it was only his most used pitch in 2023. 32% of the time. It. At no point, no one said, hey, Ben, buddy, sit down. We got to stop throwing this four-seamer because it's getting absolutely demolished. And here's the thing. The slider actually performed extremely well. It only had a 312 slugging against it. It had a 226 actual weighted on base average and 294. These are all below average. Uh, expected weighted on base average of 294 against that slider. Sinker actually performed better by the metrics. So here's what I'm wondering. You have the sinker and you have the slider. The four-seamer is just getting crushed. He doesn't throw with some of the, the velocity he once used to, at least early in his, his career. I'm wondering if they look at him like, uh, instead of we're going to work up and down, we're going to try to get swing and miss, that's not working for you. So let's move more side to side. Let's go sinker slider, pitches that move horizontally. And instead of chasing strikeouts, we want you to lean into that contact management. We want you to be like Cal Quantrill did. We want you to try to 
Instead of worrying about missing the bat, let's deaden the bat. Let's have the worst contact we can have off the bat. And let's put our def- like our infield defense that we like, let's put that to work for you so that we can mitigate some of that contact and help you out in that way. Just that. And get out of that ballpark in Cincinnati that's never going to do you any favors either as far as a pitcher that doesn't chase strikeouts in Cincinnati. So that, that's it. That, that was my best it's case scenario. It's funny you say that. I was having a conversation with a pitching guru last month for a project, and this guy pitched in all over the world, really, and didn't have great stuff. And he was always taught just pitch to contact, just find the bat. And it's funny because now he teaches pitching and what he teaches is the opposite of that. Like baseball is built around the concept of getting swing and miss, right? And we could have we could have a series of podcasts on this topic. But you don't hear that taught anymore. But some guys have the arsenal where there's no tr- like pitcher X is just you can try to get swing and miss, but that's just going to be detrimental to you. It's dangerous to seek that out with your arsenal. So it's interesting when when you're looking at who's available and who you might who you think all right we can get more out of this free agent than other teams have gotten but is that the strategy? You know, is usually your brain is probably like how can we get this guy to get more swing and miss? But do teams think how can we get this guy to get to pitch to contact more? Just yeah. get more weak contact. Lean into what your strengths are. I wonder which is more difficult. I think you want, all things being equal, you want the pitcher that strikes everybody out. Because take take the defense out of the equation, take luck out of the equation. If I can get swing and miss, that is something that helps me in the playoffs. That's what I want. I want a guy that can do that. And I think every pitcher, you try to put them to the test. Like with Classe, you put them to the test. Can you get more of it? Can you get more of it? But then there's... I think with every player, there's a delicate balance, especially pitching, where you lean too much into one thing and it, you get away from what actually makes them talented. And it's why you can't just jam every single hitter and every single pitcher into the same box. I'm not going to teach Stephen Kwan to try to hit home runs all the time. Can you introduce more power, more line drives, get the ball off the ground and into those line drives? Like Andre Semenez, get the ball off the ground. We don't have to be worrying about hitting 35 bombs this next year, but focus on the line drives. Get the doubles that way. That That's what I'm... So mm-hmm. with, with Lively, I wondered, is it a case where instead of trying to chase the strikeouts, instead of focusing on the four seam that's just getting killed, let's lean into the sliders and the sinkers and let's, let's work horizontally and let's try to manage that contact to get the most out of you. You're, not, you're probably not going to be an all-star doing it that way, but you're going to be a serviceable pitcher instead of the guy that's just getting crushed and has to go to the KBO for a couple of years. I think for the Guardians, like eventually, Joey Cantillo is that number five starter. Um, I mean, eventually, eventually, maybe it's Daniel Espino. Probably not in 2024, but I think the key for them is do you just have steady guys who can not get shelled and who can reliably get through five innings? whether that's Lively, Curry, Gaddis, Cody Morris even. I mean, he's still really intriguing to me. I just don't trust that he can be healthy and reliable enough. But they need to stockpile arms like that, right? Because they've had injury trouble the last couple of years and not having enough people like that has come back to haunt them. So maybe Lively can be one of those guys. You just, I think... Like, you're probably fine if, you know, it's spot starts. You know, if he's making 25 starts, you're probably like, yeah, this is going sideways. Yeah. But if he's uh, filling the, the, like, the Curry role this past year, okay. Like, you sign a guy for under a million bucks that you, you have some designs on making better with this organization, I'm, I'm giving them the chance. Like, I'm not mad at that signing at all. I'm mad if he gets 30 starts no, this upcoming like year. Minimum. <laughs> like I'm, I'm kind of upset unless he's just you've unlocked something that you he's earned those 30 starts. Uh, not I'm not lining it up today to do that. I guess is my point. That's not what I'd be hoping to do. We're trying to 
think about those prospects that you're talking about, which we might get a, a chance to see a lot of those in something that I think baseball has actually done right. Breaking news again, I think baseball got something right. This spring breakout that just broke yesterday, this news that these teams are going to have a chance to build 20 to 25-man rosters of their best prospects and then just line them up against another team and their top prospects. I love that idea. And get it out of, I know some of these are going to be paired with double headers. Like this this, uh, Guardians-Reds game is going to be a double header after an actual spring training game between these two teams. But get it out of that, like in spring training, you see the prospects, but get them out of the actual spring training game where when that prospect comes in the game, you just get it. None of this matters. It doesn't matter. When you line it up like this, prospects against prospects, all of a sudden I'm into it. I care. I want to see all of these young, these young guys line up against the other team's best. And I know it doesn't matter. And But whatever. This is cool. This is actually something I'm really interested in. There's something before April 1st that I'm actually eager to tune into, and I'm super excited for. This is awesome. People watch the Senior Bowl, right? So make it a showcase. And yeah, I I, I think a lot gets put into these top 100 prospects lists, probably more than we should, just because teams, what teams' internal rankings say matter much more um but who cares it's fun it highlights the youth of the sport that's a good thing without question so yeah i think there should be i think this is a great idea i think we have made it nearly the entire podcast without talking about the game's economics and payroll and Shohei Otani. And I'm going to sort of break that glass here for a second and say that that is such a huge issue. But when you really examine things, I think the sport itself, the game itself is in a healthy place and they have made a lot of great strides in recent years in promoting this promoting the game in in good ways i I think this is this is great um i think given the game's economics and everything like in certain cities like kansas city in which kansas city doesn't have any top 100 prospects so maybe that's not a good example but like colorado it's there's not no hope in spring training ever but they do have a handful of top 100 prospects and now you get to see them in a showcase i think that's great yeah less of the like I've seen the conversation. Well, the Guardian's going to take somebody at one, and then they might not even be playing for Stephen Vote someday. Well, let's put more light on those younger players, and it doesn't have to be the this guy disappears for three years. More stuff like this is awesome. So hats off to baseball. You actually did, you did it. You did it. <laughs> Cheers, Rob Manfred. <laughs>